just to make sure we understand that the title is not a clickbait. Yes, this is about books that come after Bleach. And no, it's not manga. If it wasn't already obvious, Bleach is a pretty popular franchise. One of the things that people oftentimes forget is that franchises don't exist in one space. Or rather, they don't know all the avenues they go down to to get that stack, that guapo, and all that other stuff. One of the most common ones for manga is novelizations, whether it's light novel or traditional novel. Bleach, however, is a bit unique. We've all heard a billion different reasons and things that happened to Bleach, the cancellation, the hiatus, blah, 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 blah. I'm not here to really get in on that. If you want a more detailed version of it, I'm probably going to put it at the end of the video, or really, I'm going to put a short form version of it at the end of the video. But after the Thousand Year Blood War arc, immediately the closest tie-in to the continuation of the story is the Bleach Can't Fear Your Own Worlds novels 1, 2, and 3, authored by Taite Kubo or Tite Kubo, still not sure on how to say that shit, and Ryogo Narita. Now, just to be clear, when I say picks up directly after, I mean people haven't even finished drying the blood off of them and healing their wounds. That's how quickly this stuff picks up. I'll try to go through it without giving too many spoilers. As you know, the main goal of these is to get you interested in the book, not literally tell you everything that's going on and give you bits and pieces and fragments of pictures because, well, you know, there's a thousand ways to kill the comic book industry, at least in North America, and YouTube is uh, pretty good at trying to make sure that they get a chance at it. Not trying to contribute to that. I really am not. Moving on. First thing this book does, or at least tries to do, is get you to understand or fix any plot holes that may come into contact with common sense once you see the end of Bleach's Thousand Year Blood War arc. Now, I'm well aware that the animation has recently just started back up, but keep in mind, as we all know, I am trying to avoid spoilers. So, uh, believe me when I tell you some things I'm just going to have to quote-unquote leave up to your imagination, or read the manga, and then once you read the manga... You go and pick up Can't Fear Your Own World, Volume 1, 2, and 3. But essentially, it stars the original clone of Ichigo, Shuhei Hisagi. Now, I know what you're thinking. Hey, there's a lot of Soul Society people. You want to be more specific? Okay. Shuhei Hisagi is literally the only character in Bleach with a fucking tattoo. He has the number 88 on his face. He's got that weird-shaped Shikai that's basically two sticks with blades on the end of them and a chain connected to throw them. That's Shuhei Hisagi. Yes, I will try to have pictures, and yes, he was also in the anime. That being said, this book also features characters who've never been animated or voiced, and barely have any visual representation. In fact, the main villain, which I guess villain is a, a unique way to put it, I guess reluctant bad guy might be a better term, is one of those people. Aura Michibane, or Aura depending on, I guess, your accent slash dialect and whatnot. But we'll get into her much, much later. The primary main characters for this, for those, you know, who want to know who's all in the books, is obviously Shuhei, Kyoraku Shunsui, Soifan, Tier Halabel, yeah, I know, the one that disappeared all of a sudden at the beginning of this shit, Mayuri Kurotsuchi, Nanao Issei, Kisuke Urahara, a.k.a. That Hat and Clog Bastard, Grimjaw Jagajak, Still not sure how to say that last name. Konami Tosin, Shukuro Sushikima, Ginjo Kugo, Sosuke Dad Aizen, and Nelio too. I'm not going to even try to pronounce her last name, but she was the original number three from uh, the Espada. She's the one who can turn into like a centaur being Nelio. 
Don't ask me how to say that last name or even try. Yuriko Kutsuzawa and again, Oramichibane. And of course, the supporting cast is a little bit big, but these are people who usually don't say much or they only have one specific area where they're going to appear. Shinji Harako, Tokinata Tsunayashiro, Hikone, and of course, Ichigo Kurosaki. And that's not to forget that there are some Quincy's or undead Quincy's and some dead Arankar or undead Arankar available in this as well. But again, I'm not trying to really tell you about every single little person that shows up or how significant or insignificant they are in the story. I'm just sticking with the main and the supporting. After the Thousand Year Blood War, essentially all of the Serate and the Zero Squad don't really consider themselves to be losers, but it doesn't really feel like they won. Aizen is returned back into his prison, and Shuhei even had time to ask him, why did you kill Kaname? Which a lot of people were curious to why he did that. But some people wrote it off as Aizen is cruel, Aizen is terrible, Aizen wants to do absolutely nothing but get his way anytime, all the time, etc., etc. And he even gave a bit of a cryptic answer. Essentially, the whole purpose of the first book is not only to, I guess, clear up leftover elements, but also mention that Shuhei has basically gained control of the telecommunications and communications network for the entire Soul Society. Literally, it has become his job, now that he is a temporary captain, before he's assigned a new captain to his squad. Essentially, he runs a newspaper in Serite. I'm not joking. I couldn't make it up if they tried. They have motorcycles. They know about electricity, but... The whole entire Soul Society has a guy who's being the editor-in-chief of essentially a bulletin board, and it's even called the Serite Bulletin. A, it's a novel, but it's a novel based in action-adventure-type manga stories. I've seen a lot worse. I'm, I'm pretty much numb to it. The first volume of Can't Fear Your Own World essentially shows you what happened afterwards. But on top of showing you what happens afterwards as a bit of a kind of a prologue to the Thousand Year Blood War arc, it immediately starts building up on new enemies, new villains, and answering some long, confusing questions like who are all the five great houses or what happened to have certain great houses removed from that title. Now, don't get me wrong. There is still mysteries left in this thing. For instance, uh, for those who've seen the cover of Can't For Your Own World 2, that character looks very unique and different from almost anybody else in the entire franchise. Well, I can tell you why. Essentially, it is a sentient weapon. And that's really one of the big mysteries that goes through the entirety of the Can't For Your Own World arc. There was a Zanpakuto that was so dangerous and deadly that other Zanpakuto's job was to exist just to be a security guard to keep people from accessing this Zanpakuto. And this Zanpakuto is this little, I think it's a girl, I think it's a boy, it might have been kept ambiguous intentionally, that you see on the cover of Can't For Your Own World 2. Now, I'm not going to really get into who or what this thing is. To be fair, I don't really understand what it is until around the third book. But again, it was supposed to be a mystery in the first place. But understand that Tokinare is essentially the new big boss or hidden villain staring everybody in the face that exists within the Serate or really just the realm of the uh, spirits. Now, as far as the human world, Aurora Michibane fills that slot. However, their effects on the story directly depend on which volume you're reading. But again, we're just going from volume one into volume two and then three and why you should get into them. Yes, there are some unanswered questions. 
not everything that you wanted to know or every confusing little element left over from Thousand Year Blood War is covered. And some are just mysteries that existed before that, that technically do get a little bit of answers. For instance, why is Genjo horrendously always after and obsessed with the idea of trying to kill soul reapers? At least until, you know, he got permission to live in soul society. I'm not sure how that even fucking happened. Actually, I am, but I can't spoil it. Despite Shuhei being the lead protagonist in the story, the spectrum does often shift at times to other characters. More importantly, other characters who had a big impact in the history. For instance, we've all heard that Koname's problem with the Soul Society, and the main reason he sided with Aizen was due to his perception of their corruption. The primary reason that was told to us, or, you know, implied ambiguously, was that someone was just allowed to get away with murdering their wife, and he didn't like that. And he got into the Soul Society and he realized, you know, it's just as corrupt from the inside and the outside. Yeah, we actually get into that. In fact, that ties into one of the actual precursors to villain logic. Now, I've never used that term on here before, and I know it could sound a little bit nebulous, so let me try and explain. When you have a villain that is written well, in my opinion at least, one of the main reasons is because you can come up with a logic to how they came to their conclusion and why they think that the way they do. Or you get to see a descent into madness and the people around them try to stop it or get converted to it. This is a very unique situation. Tokinare is from the final great house that we never hear about in Bleach. We know that the noble houses exist. He's the only one that is not mentioned in the manga or offhand in the show. But see, here's the thing. He's a fucking crazy bastard. Tokinare, during the entire chaos of the Thousand Year Blood War arc, took it upon himself to capitalize stealing this mythical grade level Zanpakuto with sentience that again is featured on the front page or rather the cover of Can't Free Your Own World Volume 2. No one knows he did it. But see, here's the thing also. Tokinare may also be responsible for killing Nanao's mother a.k.a. the sister of Kyoraku, the current head of the Serite. And he slaughtered his wife, who was Kaname's friend. So in a sense, some of the aid and support Aizen directly received was because of this fuckboy. Now, why would he do that? Well, this is one of the few times I'm going to get into small spoily type areas. Essentially, Tokinade found out the way the world was constructed. And when I say the world, I don't mean one world. I mean every single dimension that the Soul Society knows about or is aware of. He knows the origin story of existence, which most of the great noble houses do, and very few select members within the Serete and the Soul Society also are made privy to. However, he was one of the only people who could archive and was archiving it. His family did that. And when he found this out, and he saw that his wife read it too, he killed her. And of course, Central 46 which, as you know, was the governing body at the time, simply just allowed him on some level to get away with it, even though they couldn't prove he did it. In fact, they thought it would be a good idea to task Shuhei with is simply, hey, I want you to alert everyone that my family was killed by some mysterious assassins that I got to kill right after they miraculously finished killing everyone who outranked me in my family status. Oh, and make sure you get it out as soon as possible. Remember, they're still counting casualties from the Thousand Year Blood War arcs ending. 
literally they have not finished what they're doing with reconstructive efforts and this dude goes and tells the entirety of the Gote 13 get your head of news and your head of press and tell them to announce I am now the head of my family in their bulletin aka newspaper first and foremost you kind of sort of giving away you a fucked up individual when a war just ended your people are still in desiree mourning their losses haven't even finished getting rubble and shit cleared and you go to a news press and say hey let everybody know i'm in charge of the house i'm just saying that's some bad villain vibe shit if i ever seen it moving on though what everyone doesn't know is that he has this weapon however over the course of you know story one and story two certain things start to pop up that seem irregular however it's not due to tokenade and his backstabbery it turns out we learned that mayuri korotsuchi in his infinite obsession with trying to be better than good old hat and clogs has been going around and collecting corpses we know he was doing it in the end of or nearing the end of the whole entire iran car eisen war fight what we didn't know or i guess we forgot and didn't think he would do is realize he was also collecting and experimenting on quincy's and he put them in for lack of a better term a not dead dead state because remember the quincy's are actually living breathing humans the iran car are iran car and they are members of the espada or deviants of the espada so if you had any redemptive qualities or interest in Mayuri, um, first off, what the fuck is wrong with you? He hasn't changed since he first showed up and he first fought Uryu. This man, I'm not sure he's capable of the concept of empathy. And I mean that in the sincerest form. He essentially lives only to try to be better than Urahara. He's basically Vegeta if Vegeta never developed empathy on any level, any level. Honestly, if I saw him walking down the street, I'd fucking take a shot at him. Anyways, now let's move on into Can't Fear Your Own World Part 2. Can't Fear Your Own World Part 2 is when you become more acquainted with Oro Michibane. Now, everyone has had hypothetical questions always being asked to Taite Kubo about, well, breeding. No, I don't mean having sex. I mean, literally who can breed and whatnot. And one of the most interesting things we learned, but never saw anything come of it, was that um, hollows, at least the ones who got into their humanoid sentient forms, are completely capable of breeding with a human being, much like a normal. Crazy, right? Now, in the case of Oromichibane and her religious cult, let's call it what it is, Religious cult execution, not execution, execution. She's decided that she can essentially, again, fix all the world's problems. Also, she basically may be nigh immortal, if not nigh omnipotent. She somehow has the absolute perfect power mix of everything that makes up a hollow and everything that could possibly make up a soul reaper. Again, I can't really get into her entire backstory and origins, but... If you ever wondered what would happen if a human had different types of mixes in them of these various other celestial races that exist within the world of Bleach, Oromichibane is what you want to look at and what you will come to fear. Primarily what the big crush or the most interesting parts of Can't Free Your Own World 2 isn't that we get to learn more about 
whatever the hell this supernatural Zanpakuto is that Tokinade stole that is sentient, but also what Mayuri was up to because as par usual, Shinji Hirako don't trust no crazy motherfuckers. So even though he had utilization of an authorized training ground, it is immediately revealed that not only are the Iran car, or at least the bigger ones, as well as some of the leftover Quincy's that Mayuri was experimenting on running around in a training area. No one knew they were coming or that they were going to be there. And Mayuri's test automatically terrifies people. And eventually, lo and behold, this mysterious Zanpakuto girl and or boy shows up. And everyone immediately remembers her. Hey, didn't I kick your ass in the last volume? Obviously, that's not Grimjaw's last words, but he did have a fight with her. Initially, Tokenade sent this little thing to go and basically try to take over the entirety of Hueco Mundo. For those who have forgotten or are unfamiliar, that's the area where most of the hollows live and come from by itself. So you already know it's a bad motherfucker. And no matter how hard everyone hit this thing, it will regenerate faster than 10 Wolverines combined. And no one can truly place what type of spiritual power it has. Sometimes it felt like a hollow. Sometimes it felt like a human. Sometimes it felt, felt like a soul reaper, aka a death god energy. It was all over the place and it had a very unusual Zanpakuto. Or it had its own Zanpakuto. So it was a sentient Zanpakuto who could pull out its own Zanpakuto. I don't know what you would call that, but I guess sentient still covers that. So yeah, whatever. Now, as far as book three, when, you know, aura execution get more involved not gonna tell you again have to leave some mystery also this video is getting too long the entirety not just one book of can't free your own world i give it a b plus because one of the things that this thing has to do by itself is be an interesting series of books to read regardless of what came before if you can't make something interesting to read it doesn't matter that it's a tie-in or a connection to something that has been previously established however it's very very delicate and selective balancing of letting you know about things that happened previously not just in thousand year blood war but throughout the lore of bleach on top of being able to keep its own unique story and show you who lived and who died or who you didn't know was alive and who you didn't know was for sure was dead well not really that last one was expertly woven care love and attention went into this book series and that's what you want in any form of a novel i can't recommend it enough for those of you who've never seen Bleach or never read the previous books, technically it is possible for you to get interested. However, please keep this in mind. It's not going to make a lot of sense to you in certain key areas. That being said, I'll see you guys in the next one.